In this episode of Info Product Mastery, we'll discuss how you can compete against much larger companies in the info product and online education space. This is Info Product Mastery, Episode 6. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers, educators, and entrepreneurs launch and grow their online education businesses. Whether you're just looking to create a passive income stream or building a full-time living, I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. So in episodes four and five, we covered some tips, techniques, and ideas you can leverage when brainstorming ideas to create an info product, an ebook, or an online course. You should definitely listen to those episodes for a full breakdown but I'll give you a quick recap by saying that in order to determine an idea for an info product business, you should first consider what you're already an expert in. That can be programming languages, libraries, architectures. So maybe you're an expert in the Python programming language and you use it every day at work, or you're a web developer and you know JavaScript or PHP really well, or maybe at your day job, you work for this WordPress plugin development company. So you understand the WordPress space really well. The point is just, Think to what you're doing on a daily basis in the developer space and think about, hmm, how could I use this to teach someone else? Is there a market for that? And then next, you want to brainstorm topics that are tangentially related to your area of expertise, but you're not an expert in yet, but you could become one faster than most. So again, maybe you know the Django web development framework really well but you want to learn about REST APIs. You know, that's an example of something that's tangentially related. Or you could know the Python programming language super well, but you want to learn about machine learning and neural networks, so you decided to, to dive into TensorFlow and Keras. The point is that you kind of sort of know these topics, but aren't an expert in them yet. And if you go this route, you can create content as you learn it, thereby making you more relatable to your audience. It's incorrect to assume that people only learn from experts. That's honestly not the case. It's actually the advanced practitioner who still remembers what it's like to be a novice that people learn from best. Because again, as an expert, as a true expert at the top echelon, the top tier of, of your niche, of your area, you sometimes forget what it's like to be a beginner. You don't always remember all those smaller details that tripped you up along the way. But someone who's a practitioner, who's working in it every single day, you know, they're going to remember those details really well. And that's a great spot to be in as an educator because you could help other people along the way. And thirdly, you'll want to do your research. See if there are any existing players in the field that cover the topic that you want to cover. Search Google, search Udemy, Pluralsight, Skillshare, those types of sites to see if there's any existing books or courses on your topic. What you're really trying to do here is find a sweet spot. You want to see at least some existing content in the space, thereby validating that there is a need and that people will actually pay for it. But on the flip side, you don't want so many players that the space is crowded, competitive, and highly price sensitive. Again, you don't want to compete on price. That's, that always ends with a race to the bottom, often with the cheapest price and the lowest quality content winning. You, know, you don't want to be that person because it's sad down there at the bottom of the barrel. If you can, you want to find a topic that has a strong base, some but not a lot of competitors, and ideally an emerging trend. And this concept of an emerging trend, it's not a requirement, but when it happens, it's super nice. It's like finding a pot of gold at the bottom of an ancient waterfall. A great example is that is what happened with me in PyImage Search with computer vision and deep learning. 
There's no possible way I could have predicted how deep learning would completely change and overhaul the face of computer science. It was really just luck and being there in the right place and the right time. And the truth is you can't manufacture luck, but you can apply some strategies to help you identify topics for your info product business, which brings us to the topic of today's episode. So if in your research you find a would-be competitor that covers a wide breadth of topics, see if you can niche into them by going deep on a specific topic. And I'm going to explain this with an example. Many of you probably have heard of Harrison Kinsley or by his avatar username, Setdex and pythonprogramming.net. Harrison is a friend of mine. I've known him for years and he is a prolific YouTuber. He has over 1.1 million followers on, on YouTube where he just talks about all these various Python programming tutorials, guides, and everything Python related. And you might think that what Harrison did with pythonprogramming.net and what I did with PyMe Search would make us competitors to some degree. But really we aren't. And that's because Harrison covers a wide breadth of topics. Yeah, he has some computer vision tutorials, but he's also covering machine learning, data analysis, chatbots, game development, web development, Python fundamentals, amongst other topics. And he doesn't necessarily cover any of these topics in depth. I like to think of pythonprogramming.net as more like a large library of O'Reilly or Pack publishing books or video tutorials. You get just enough information to be dangerous, but typically not enough to go get a job in the field and do scientific research. And honestly, that's a perfectly fine business model, and it's worked really well for him and, and people like him because most programmers just need a beginner to intermediate level experience in some of these more advanced topics. They don't need to be experts in the, these advanced topics. They just need enough knowledge to get the job done. Pioneer Search, on the other hand, we focused on just one topic, computer vision, and we dove super, super deep into it. We author content that Harrison really wouldn't touch simply because it's so specific to computer vision that his more general Python programming audience really wouldn't be that interested in it. And there is a key point. That's a great way for you to compete against your larger, already established incumbents. For example, let's say you wanted to compete with Harrison and pythonprogramming.net by developing a set of eBooks or courses that teach web development. You're gonna have a really hard time beating Harrison if you're just trying to replicate his content. You may be able to do it, but he's already really well established. He has momentum, people know him, they respect his content. His SEO and his YouTube reach is incredible. Again, he has, he has over a million subscribers. And trying to oust him would take years, a small army of writers and video creators, and honestly, maybe a bit of venture funding. So you don't want to turn this into a war of attrition. You're going to get slaughtered in that. Instead, do your market research and see if there's a specific subtopic that Harrison covers that you could potentially niche into. So again, taking this Python programming web development example, you may look and see that Harrison only covers the fundamentals of Django, but doesn't go into more complex topics. So then you go onto Udemy and you find there are 15 separate courses on Django for web development with Python. That's good information. Now you know there is a market for the Django web framework. But can you go a step deeper, a step further? How can you differentiate yourself from existing players in the market? Could you differentiate in terms of audience or maybe even a specific topic? For example, there are tons of courses for programmers to learn Django, but maybe you're a web designer who has turned into a programmer over the years. You have expert knowledge in what it takes for a web designer to become a web developer. So maybe you could create a course tailored to that, tailored specifically for web designers 
who are trying to break into the web development arena. Now, that, that's a great example of you know competing with a slightly different audience, niching in with an audience. Let's talk about what it would be like to niche in with a slightly variation of a topic. Now, again, maybe you know Django and Flask really well, and you know a lot of REST API development because you, you do that at your day job. You then wonder, is there an audience large enough that wants to learn about advanced REST API development with Django? So you're taking this concept of you know, web development as a whole, and then you just niche into that a little bit and say, I want to do Python web development. I'm like, okay, we just, we just niche down a little bit. Can we go further? And you say, well, there's, there's a lot of web development frameworks in Python, but Django and Flask seem to be the most popular ones. And since you use Django at your day job, you're like, let's use Django. So again, we're slowly, slowly, slowly reducing the size of the, the topic we're going to cover. And you go, now you go online, do your research and realize there are already a lot of Django web development courses. So now you got to niche down further and you say, I do REST API development, my day job. I wonder if that is a small enough niche that I could be competitive against, but the topic isn't so small that no one would care about it, right? Because that's, that's the sweet spot. And you can continue niching down yourself further and further until you find a niche you can dominate. And once you dominate that niche, you pull yourself up ladder rung by ladder rung until you can compete with the larger, more well-established players. I'm a big fan of this concept of niching down, but sometimes in the process as you dig deeper and deeper, you, you run into a sort of a problem when you're like, hmm, there's very little audience here. And that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that you found a highly niched topic. We all have to start somewhere. And a great example, honestly, is the early days of Pi Image Search. I've gotten asked before, hey, Adrian, where did you come up with the name Pi Image Search? The letters PYImageSearch.com. Well, when I was doing my PhD research, I was extremely interested in a topic called content-based image retrieval, which is basically a fancy academic way of saying image search engines. So we're all familiar with going to Google, typing in a few text keywords to find content we're interested in. Image search is similar, only instead of typing in text, you supply an image to the search engine. Then the image search engine searches for similar images online in its database. And a good example of this would be an app I built years ago called Chic Engine. Chic Engine was a visual fashion search engine. It was powered by an iPhone app. So you could be walking along the street, you could be flipping through a magazine, be like, wow, I really like that shirt. Where did you get that shirt from? And the magazine, you're reading the article, it doesn't tell you where the shirt is from, but you really want to get it. So you take your phone out, open up the Chic Engine app, take a photo of it, and Chic Engine would automatically analyze it, analyze the color, the texture, the shape of the clothing. Ideally, find identical matches online, but if it doesn't find an identical match, it would find a visually similar match. And that is all done via the image. You're not going to Chic Engine and typing in, I want a black shirt. No, you're taking a photo of the exact black shirt that you want, and then Chic Engine would go and find it for you. So that's, that's a good example of what an image search engine is. I was super interested in an image search engine. I love the Python programming language. So I thought, hey, let's create content that is specific to the image search engine niche, hence the website pyimagesearch.com. The letters PY come from Python, and then the image search comes from the topic that I want to discuss. Well, I found that niche was way too specific and way too small. I was posting my content to Reddit and LinkedIn groups specific to computer vision and the Python programming language. And I was getting really good feedback here. The readers were liking the content, 
But a lot of the questions I received for them were more about the general field of computer vision and the OpenCV library rather than image search engines. So at that point, I ratcheted myself back up the ladder a rung and decided to cover OpenCV in the Python programming language. Back then, you know, when I was doing my research, there was only two to three books on the OpenCV library, all of which were published via O'Reilly or Pact. And most of these books were using the C++ programming language instead of Python. Also, back then, OpenCV was extremely poorly documented. The library was challenging to install, the examples and the documentation didn't work, and the forums weren't terribly helpful either. So that really gave me a great entry point. And within a few months of writing about both OpenCV and Python together, I really started to dominate that space. It was truly a right place, right time situation when the resurgence of neural networks and deep learning happened. And the funny thing is, truth be told, I never really cared for neural networks when I was in school. They were slow to train and often underperformed models like your sport vector machines and random forests. But now that we have large data sets and specialized hardware like GPUs and novel architectures like convolutional neural networks, this combination literally changed the entire surface of the computer vision field. And nearly every sub-niche of computer science was forever changed because of deep learning. And back then, there were few neural network and deep learning libraries at the time, namely Torch and Theano, but most of those were hard to use and underdocumented. Now, I want to point that out and say, always be on the lookout for these types of situations. I decided to focus on two Python libraries that went hand in hand together, TensorFlow and Keras, and I wrote a three-volume book on them specific to computer vision. I only covered computer vision, no natural language processing, no sequencing models, no stock market prediction, none of that, just computer vision. So I was very niche specific in that regard. Well, that three volume set, it went on to sell seven figures. That's probably the first time I'm sharing those numbers publicly, but it's the truth. During that three year period, I ratcheted myself higher and higher up the ladder, but that never would have happened without three things. First. It wouldn't have happened had I tried to compete with existing players on a more general level. It would have been too competitive for me. I was too small. I didn't have the audience. No one trusted me back then. No one saw me as an expert in computer vision. It would have been super, super hard to compete with your larger education product companies. There's no way I could have broken into it. Secondly, it wouldn't have happened had I not found the base niche of Python image search engines where I could grow from. I told you earlier in this podcast that Python image search engines was way too specific, that there wasn't enough audience in that topic for me to create a course on and to make money on. But by just blogging about that content and sharing it, I started to find people who were interested in it. But the feedback I received from those people was, hey, I have a question about a topic that's slightly tangential to what you're covering. Maybe you could create some content on that. So I listened to my readers, I listened to the feedback from them, and I was able to pull myself up one ladder rung to a, a niche where there was a supporting audience and where there wasn't a lot of competitors, where I was able to niche down and say, I want to cover the Python programming language with the OpenCV library, and that's it. And I want to build my base audience here. And once I did that over time, I was able to pull myself up ladder rung by ladder rung. Thirdly, and arguably most importantly, None of this would have ever happened had I not thrown my hat in the ring. In order to play the game, you gotta be willing to go in. You gotta be willing to push yourself. You gotta be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. Get outside of your comfort zone and really try. 
So when you're ever encountered with a situation like this, whether you're building an info product or in life, like don't be afraid to throw your hat in the ring because you can never, ever underestimate the value of luck. It certainly takes luck to be successful, but I'll tell you one thing. Throwing your hat in the ring and working your ass off will eventually lead to success. It's just a matter of time and scale. It may take two, three, five, ten years, but I'll tell you what, the smartest, most driven people I know are eventually successful once you look at them at a large enough scale. The key is that those people, they just never gave up. Yeah, they had to work hard, but eventually all that hard work paid off. So in conclusion, here are my short bullet form takeaways for you. First, analyze existing players and see if they cover a topic at a higher level, which you know can be covered in a much deeper niche specific level. Secondly, you want to verify that this deeper niche has a large enough community such that if you write content or create video guides that people will actually show up and enjoy the content and learn from it. Thirdly, continue niching down until you find a specific subtopic that you can dominate and become the go-to expert on. It's very likely that this super small subtopic won't have much of an audience because that brings me to my fourth point. Once you find that small base audience, you can start ratcheting yourself back up the ladder. Listen to the feedback you're getting from your existing audience. What do they want to learn more about? Keep that in mind because you're not writing or creating content for yourself. You're writing for them. So listen intently. But once you have that feedback, go do your research to verify what you're hearing. Then create that content and repeat the process, working yourself up the ladder over and over again. And finally, be patient and be consistent. This debt-first, niche-down process takes time, but it does work. You just need to be patient. It won't happen overnight. It may take a year or so for you to have a reasonably sized audience. And that's fine because reputation, it's not built in a day. You need that reputation to go higher and higher up the ladder. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on whatever podcatcher you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.